Now turn with me, if you will, to Luke 18, 1 through 8. Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, Grant me justice against my opponent. For a while he refused, but later he said to himself, Though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. And yet, when the Son of Man comes, he will, find, will he find faith on earth? May God add a blessing to this reading of the text and cause it to be the inspired word for us today. Good morning. It is always good to be in Salt Lake City. It's been uh, something like slightly over 34 years since I was ordained in this space. Some things look very much the same. Youth are still up in the back row of the balcony. Keep it clean up there. The reason, you know, that we clean up there is to have a nice space for all of you. Um, pews are in the same place. Those of you that were here 34 years ago, you look a lot older. About 34 years or so. <laughs> Some of you are in the same pew you were in 34 years ago. And there's a lot of folks that aren't here anymore. Um, banners instead of a long drapery in front of the, in the front part of the church. Looks good. Looks good. It's good to be here. And I want to thank you, this church, for your faithfulness over the years. And for those that are sitting there going, who are you and why do I care that you were here 34 years ago? I'm just a minister that was ordained 34 years ago and, um, and try my best to do what God has called me to do. And I hope that you will bear with me during these moments. And I invite you to join with me in a moment of prayer. Shall we join our hearts together? Almighty God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. May these moments open our ears and eyes and hearts to you. Amen.
Jesus always telling stories. My dad tells stories a lot, and I am my father's daughter. Now, those of you who think you know me probably don't know my dad very well. He hasn't been in Salt Lake City very much, hasn't even been in western Washington too much since I've been there. Um, And actually, as a young child, I wouldn't have told you that my dad told stories. He didn't seem to do that very often. Um, Most of my growing up years, uh, he worked at the local coal-burning power plant, and he was a boiler operator. And the way that coal plant scheduled boiler operators, he had seven days working one shift, 3 to 12, And he'd have two days off, and then he'd have seven days working day shift, 7 a.m. to 4 p.m., and he'd have two days off. And then he'd have seven days working the night shift, uh, midnight to 7 a.m. And then he'd have four days off. Those four days off came on a weekend, so he would get off on Friday morning at 7 a.m., and then he wouldn't have to go to work until... Three on Tuesday. One person said when he heard that schedule, he says, that's not a long weekend, that's a short vacation. We had a calendar in our house. Had dad's work schedule on the calendar because that work schedule doesn't work out easily, you know. So it would just put the hours he worked or that he was off. That calendar had one other thing on it. Whose night it was to do dishes. Because there were six of us children, and when we turned seven, we started doing dishes. And my parents quickly got tired of the arguments about who had switched whose night to do the dishes. So put it on the calendar. There's no more arguments. Except for the argument that I started because my two older brothers, when they turned 17, rotated off that rotation of doing dishes. So when I turned 17, I was going to rotate off doing dishes. My parents said, but you're a girl. I did not know that I was a feminist at the time. (laughs) Don't know that the word was even necessarily out there at that age. It was becoming, perhaps. But I said, but that's not how this family works. We're an egalitarian family. And I suspect my parents looked at each other and said, where did she learn that? They never intended to teach me that. I pray for parents all the time because I know that there's lots of unintentional teaching taught by parents. And I don't know why I got off into all of that, but I didn't do dishes after age 17 in our house, by the way. 
which probably said something about learning at that early age, because I was my father's daughter, that I could talk my way through a lot of things. But I really didn't know my dad was a storyteller until age about 12. My mother had, had told me, well, your dad was on a ship during World War II that was actually blown up. You should ask him sometime about that. Because I knew that my dad was in the Navy, but I, that was all. You know, I knew that during the war he was in the Navy. And So one morning when we were sitting around at breakfast, I assume it was either one of his days off or he didn't have to go to work until 3, I said, hey, Dad, Mom said that you were in the Navy. When you were in the Navy, you had a ship that blew up. You were in a ship that blew up. Tell me about it. For two hours, I heard stories about that ship. I'm not going there. Um, but that's when I began to learn that my dad could tell stories. Jesus was a storyteller. His stories usually had far more points to them than my dad's stories do, oftentimes. And this story about the persistent widow, he even starts out by saying, you need to learn to pray. And so my message to you this morning is, we, this church, the church in general needs to relearn to pray. And I know that you've heard over the years all kinds of sermons about prayer. Maybe that was where Curtis even intended to go with all of these things about prayer this morning. Um, but I think what we, the church, have forgotten over the millennia is what it is we're praying for. See, I believe that the church in this day and age has a real problem in that we forgot what it is that church is about and for. And I know some of you are going, oh no, there she goes again. But we need this reminder. I started out naming some of the things that had stayed the same and some of the things that had changed since I was ordained here. That's just here in this building. There's some things that are about the same and some things that are very different and some things that are just sort of different. But outside the walls of this church, wow, are things different. The community outside here used to be, back in 76, much more Mormon than it is today. We didn't talk about, inside the church, about going out and doing anything in the community because the Mormons took care of the community. And there wasn't much we could do about that. They were kind of, you know, always in our face. You know, if one of us dared to sell our house, the Mormon ward had it sold before we could put the sign up on the lawn. Um, but I'm talking about the neighborhood of the church right around here. It's changed dramatically. There was no east side stadium 
and parking lot in back of the church in those days. So even the school was a bit different, but I don't have the statistics at hand, but it's a much different city in and around this church than it was in 76. But do we do our ministry very much different with our neighbors around this church than we did in 76? Don't we still wait for the people to come in here? And don't we still judge about whether or not we have been successful by how many people are in the pews on Sunday morning? Now, I dare you to show me where in Scripture it says that God judges you, judges a church by how many folks are in the pews on Sunday morning or at Sabbath on Saturday. Paul doesn't speak like that. Jesus doesn't speak like that. Even God in the Old Testament doesn't talk about how many people show up at the temple as a judge about whether or not you have been faithful and about whether or not God is ready to bless you. Somehow, back when, and even today, we have carefully taught ourselves that this is what faith is about. I'm here to tell you folks, we got it all backwards. We we put the unimportant important and forgot the important sometimes altogether. Not always, not everything, but we certainly pay so much attention to the important. This beautiful part of this building, you know, clearly says Sunday morning is the important thing. We need to care for this, for what it is, but we need to remind ourselves when we're here, this isn't what it's about. This just helps us to do what it's about. This Sunday morning, this experience, only helps us do what the faith community is really about. This Sunday morning, being here, worshiping God, singing songs, hearing the organ, reading scripture, praying, is not what it's about. It only helps us do what it's about. We need to be praying about what it's about so that we can relearn what it's about and get our heads turned towards what it's about. And we need to be praying about that together. I know how the prayers of the church go. And we're careful 
as we should be, to pray for those that are sick and ailing and hurt, those that aren't here or are here under great prayer, pain and suffering. But we need to make a central part of the prayer of the church that we might understand better and carry out better God's work and mission. And the hardest thing to do is to tell you exactly how that looks. Now, I know a little bit that doing ministry and mission in Salt Lake City is no easy task. You know, those that were here 34 years ago, you know I know that. You know, I I learned something, even though some of the youth in my care did not. I remember when Randy Jackson said to his Mormon teacher that Mormonism was a cult. You know, that may or may not be true, but it wasn't helpful to say so to your high school teacher. Um, But I know it's not easy here, but just when you're feeling like, oh, it's all about be in Salt Lake City and in the heart of the heart of Mormonism. I want you to think of Fremont Baptist Church in Seattle, Washington. Fremont is in a community of Seattle. It's a neighborhood, a neighborhood of Seattle. I'm much better about having neighborhoods in Seattle than Salt Lake City necessarily is. But the Fremont neighborhood has a plaque in it that declares that Fremont neighborhood, not Seattle, but Fremont, is the center of the universe. Not the center of Seattle, not the center of Washington, not the center even of the United States, or even the center of the earth. They declare it for the whole universe. Fremont neighborhood of Seattle. Okay? The, there's a big festival every year in Fremont over the solstice day in June. Very artsy kind of festival. All kinds of things go on in that. They have a parade. Part of the parade are bicycle riders. They're naked. The bicycle part of the parade is official. The nakedness isn't official, but it is every year what it is. You can get away with that if you're the center of the universe, evidently. But it's indicative. Now, not far from this plaque that declares itself the center of the universe is a statue of Stalin. And... And just a block from the Fremont Baptist Church is, is the troll that's underneath the Aurora Bridge. If, if you go on a, a, a duck tour of Seattle, it goes by the troll. The troll has a Volkswagen in its hands. And most people know they're in Fremont because Fremont Baptist Church has a huge sign on the back of the church 
and used to have a lighted sign across its roof that said, Fremont Baptist Church. People said, oh, I'm in Fremont because there it is in huge letters, bigger than any other place in Fremont. And Fremont Baptist Church is the only church building in Fremont. You think you have a tough time doing ministry? Do ministry in the center of the universe. (laughs) Amongst naked bike riders. Bring the word of the Lord forward. I'm serious. When you think it's tough doing ministry in Salt Lake City, think about Fremont Baptist Church. Now, Fremont Baptist Church, actually every year at this June festival, they have a booth. At that booth, they give out coffee to anybody who wants one. No, no charge. Just, we're here to give out a cup of coffee. And they have water for those who don't drink coffee. And they have water for the pets that are there. They do have a donation jar, but it's fairly clearly marked that all donations go to the Fremont Food Bank. doesn't go into the church coffers. It's not. They don't do it to raise money for the church. They do it to meet and greet their neighbors. Don't know that they've ever had anybody come and sit in their pew on Sunday morning because they give out coffee during the fair. But they do that every year. They do that every year. They make friends with the homeless that hang around their church. A few years ago, they had a funeral for one of the homeless men that they'd made relationships with and helped him discover that he had ALS, helped him make um, reconciliation with his father before he died, and had a wonderful service for him um, after he passed away. I don't know that there's any more people in the pews of that church because of that incredible ministry and that incredible outreach to their neighbors. There's a pastor there that that began about five years ago. She would tell you there's no more people in the pews today than there there were five years ago. But she would also tell you that during her first 18 months, she had, I forget if it was during her first year, she had 18 funerals, or during her first 18 months, she had 12 most of those being people in the church. So she's gotten some new folks. It's not the same congregation it was five years ago, but it's no more. Because she learned before she became pastor there that it's really not about how many people are in the pews. It's about what the people in the pews and the pastor are doing to reach out and make a difference in the community. If Fremont Baptist Church decided to shut down and go away, I know that Fremont would say, but 
but where are those AA groups that meet in that church building seven days a week? Seven days a week. At least one. Sometimes, most days, several. AA, NA, AA type groups are meeting in that church building. They will say, who's going to reach out to folks? Who's going to be the voice for God loves you in the Fremont community? God loves you no matter who you are. Who's going to do that? I believe when the Son of Man comes, he will find people of faith at Fremont Baptist. Because that question can be answered. What difference does it make that Fremont Baptist is there? My challenge to you, my dear friends, with this new leader, in this new day, in this same old building, filled with all of the problems the building and the parking lot and the whole thing has, the question you need to answer all the time, the prayer you need to pray all the time, is what difference are we making for Salt Lake City? What difference does it make that First Baptist Church of Salt Lake City is here? Dear God, guide us to make a difference for you in Salt Lake City. A difference the Mormon Church can't make, but First Baptist Church can. For Jesus Christ in Salt Lake City. It'll be a different answer for you. You don't have naked bike riders. It's not the center of the universe. Praise be to God. The question is, will Christ find people of faith. And it doesn't mean that he expects you to be sitting in a pew on Sunday morning and doing nothing else. He's asking what difference does it make that First Baptist Church of Salt Lake City is here. What's your witness? to the kids across the street at East High, to the students and faculty at University of Washington, to your neighbors in the homes and the apartment buildings that are nearby this church. What difference does it make? Let us pray.